Welcome, friends and guests, to Max Horton, the Precision Rifle Podcast. Now let's get to the show. What is up? It is Tuesday, June 8th. I can't believe it's June already, and I've got all of you on the line right now, minus Adrian. He did not accompany us or accompany, go with us to uh, New Mexico for the, the beatdown. But I've got Russ. Say hello. Hello. Nick. Hello. And Vanessa. Hello. Oh, my God. You guys sound. <laughs> you already tell the reviews on this podcast are going to be amazing. <laughs> All right, so we're getting together for this podcast so that we can kind of talk about Steel Safari, which we all just went to. And, you know, it actually takes uh, a good chunk of your time because you have three days of competing. You have the day before where you check in, you check your zero if you want to, and then you also have, like, preparations. Because it's such a unique match, it's, it's not like anything else out there. Um, so I kind of want to start there. Nick, you didn't really get to practice with us as a team. Um, so I want to just touch on how you felt everybody going into the competition and how you feel coming out of it is what we're going to lead up to. But just going into the competition, like, what were your thoughts? What were some concerns? You know, things like that. And Nick, you can lead us off. Uh, well, it's not the first time I've shot this match, so I had a general idea of kind of what to expect. Uh, I missed that team train up because I was stuck at work, but I definitely didn't feel like I was going to be rusty going in, but uh, found out the hard way Friday that I was. Good old Friday has a way of waking everybody up. Russ, what about you? Uh, yeah, we did the train up the week before, which is good because we got I got some stupid, some stupid out of me, which I I feel like for most of the stages I didn't have any stupid, um, except for I not be able to find a couple targets here and there, but I didn't make the mental mistakes that I did so much at our little train up. So I went into it, you know, I don't know as prepared as you can get for it. Um, I would think, uh, but yeah. All right, and Vanessa. Um, 
I've shot this match for the first time last year when I was only a couple months in, so I really needed the train up, and uh, there was a lot of fumbling around, just getting, like, not even remembering what I needed to walk up with, so getting all that stuff out of the way was really good. I mean, the match itself wasn't great for me, but at least I got, you know, some of the easy basic stuff um, kind of worked out, so that was a little bit... Actually, that wasn't so bad um, Friday. Uh, I mean, obviously, as the days went on, it got better. But at least I got those that mess out, you know, while we trained. So um, yeah, you were a big time dumpster fire. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it was. I was. I think for a moment there, I was just standing in awe. Like, <laughs> what is she doing? And this was at the practice. Um, you know, I didn't really. I didn't get to see a whole lot of your stages. And uh, the ones that I did see, they weren't bad. Uh, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, you know, the match, we talk about it. I post about it all the time because I'm such a fan of the format and how it challenges you. So I know for doing it all these past years, you're expecting to go there. There's going to be eight or nine stages per day you're going to walk a course of fire every course of fire you get to you're going to stay behind a bush in a staging area where you can't see what the person in front of you is doing and when they call you up they'll be your ro they just shot this stage so they know where the targets are and they now they get to watch you fumble through this and uh and and either hit or miss or, or whatever the case is but that's also where you learn a lot about things that you can do you know, especially if you're following an experienced uh, top-level shooter, like you can see what works, what doesn't work, how come you didn't think of this, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, but as we are all walking around, I'm curious, what are you thinking about? I know for me, as I'm walking from stage to stage, or even if I'm doing the initial walk, which could be a mile, maybe a mile and a quarter to get to the first position, uh, you know, the only thing really going through my head is, is what is the wind doing? What is my process going to be? And, you know, when I get to the staging area, what are the tasks that I have to do? Because doing the long walks, I have all my gear packed up. Like my tripod is attached to my bag. I got my, my magazines put away. You know, once I get to the staging area, that's when I pull everything out. I got my tripod pulled out. I extend it to a standing position. I got my magazines, make sure they're loaded, and I carry two mags on my body so that if one fails or gives me problems, I can just immediately dump it and go to a spare. I have my data board that I write on with all my dopes, my range card, things like that. So I got to get all of my stuff ready. I also, once I'm in the staging area, I clip my rear bag to my pocket so I don't have to search for it in my bag. And, you know, as soon as I walk up to the position, I got my stuff in my hand. They say, shooter, are you ready? Here's your lateral limits. Ready to get, you know, messed up. Yep. Go. And I set my, my uh, tripod down, load my magazine and my rifle, set that down, drop my rear bag next to it. Now I know all my gear is ready to go. And now it's finding targets. What's the wind doing? What's the position? How I'm going to shoot from it? Like all that stuff. Uh, but initially just walking to the positions, what is going through your head? And I feel personally that walking to the first position, you're thinking about something completely different 
than you are walking to the second, third, fourth position because now you've already experienced that first spot. You've experienced the wind. You've made your misses. Like you're now thinking about what can you do better so that you don't experience that again. Um, so let's just start with walking to the initial stage. Well, what's going through your head? Are you trying to keep yourself calm? Are you thinking about wind? Are you shit? Did I forget anything? And Russ, why don't you lead off? Uh, depending on where I'm starting, I'm thinking, why did I not drink enough water? Because it's a mile and a hundred degrees to get there. <laughs> then I'm, then I'm thinking, should I have brought another shirt? Because I'm sweating my fat ass through this one. But what I'm not thinking about that stuff, for the most part, on the first stage, I start probably like say the last quarter of the walk, not the whole walk. Um, mainly because you're so far away. I'm starting to look at what are leaves doing. Um, do I feel the wind on one side of my face versus the other? Are the little ribbons they use, are they moving? All so much is if there's a question, I'll reach down and pick up little pieces of grass, throw it up in the air to see if, okay, does that look? Um, and that, to me, at that time, is kind of more for speed because there's so much between what you're walking to and, you know, where, in which way, which way you're going to face direction-wise. But if I can figure out, okay, at the top of the hill, Maybe it's eight miles an hour, which is probably higher than down in the valleys where we're shooting at. At least gives me a baseline of, you know, I can start subtracting for uh, angle and whatnot. But that, that's really what I'm looking for. And then I'm reinforcing my, my process a little bit, which is uh, literally I wrote it on my dope card. You know, I'm looking near to far and right to left. I'm going to scan with my eyes. I don't find anything with my eyes within, say, 10, 15 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. I'm getting on on the, the binos for the farther targets and just that. Uh, and this, because of our train-up, you know, you had mentioned, like, hey, you know what you didn't do, Rush? You didn't load your mag until you were on the gun, which is just kind of, you know, basic, on, uh, depending on what we're doing, more PRS, NRL, like, all right, hey, I'm on, and load it. Um, but actually, not even that. But I started making sure I do that. I'd set my rifle down throw throw a magazine in it and then start scanning and go from there um but that's that's my my thought process excuse me process on the walk up okay vanessa what about you besides taking selfies and and uh instagram stories what are you thinking about <laughs> well in all fairness the walk is a good 10 20 minutes so yeah that that takes up about a minute and a half <laughs> if I post anything or take a picture. Um, the first day, I was like, where the hell am I going? Because the first stage on the south side was way different than it was the, the first year. My my concern was if I go the wrong direction or, or past, the, uh, past the stage, I'm going to feel like an idiot. Um, but other than that, yeah, I was trying to focus on which direction the wind was coming from. Um, and it's funny because I probably think more about the wind when I'm quietly walking by myself than I actually do when I'm shooting because there's so much going on while you're shooting. But um, uh, other than that, I'm just trying to stay calm, not get too much in my head and, and not get nervous about what to expect um, and just enjoy the walk and, and kind of wait till I get to the first stage and kind of feel out how, you know, how the morning's going to go, kind of feel the wind. And the direction, just like Russ said, kind of gauge which direction I'm walking in and see if I can figure out that it'll, it'll be coming from the left or the right. 
behind, okay. forward, that kind of stuff. All right. Nick, what about you? Well, I think first I try not to die, make sure I have enough water with me and don't get bit by a rattlesnake. I probably don't start worrying about the wind and actually what I'm going to do till I'm pretty close to the staging area because the wind at the house is different than the wind on the west and the wind at the first stage on the south is different than the third stage on the north. So I won't remember that by the time I get up there, get kind of squirrel brain through all that stuff. Uh, definitely think about where all my gear is because I've forgotten things at the house in past years and that's no fun trying to shoot a course without a tripod. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, other than that, just kind of the basic stuff that we always run through. You know, the direction we're going to be shooting, where my dope cards are, how I'm going to record all my stuff. Am I going to keep it on my armband? Am I going to keep it on my rifle? And just think about the fundamentals, the stuff that I screw up the most. Okay. So I would say that they did not disappoint this year when – Thursday, we're all checking in and we're hanging out, kind of talking with people and, you know, words getting around that all the positions have drastically changed. Targets have been moved and um, they're not similar to last year's course of fire at all. I mean, every year they would kind of move targets, but they'd still be in somewhat the same area. You would just have to find them and then start looking for patterns. But this year was completely different. I mean, you would go up to a, a position and there were so many two-by-threes this year where you have three targets, but you have to shoot three targets from two different positions. Uh, so it, on one hand, it made it a little easier because you're not searching for six targets, but now your time management has to be that much better because you have to move – to a completely different position to shoot your second round of those three targets. And then, you know, while you're on the clock, you are not just ranging, you know, finding ranging and then pre preparing to shoot these targets, but there's some other things that go through your mind as well. If you have the time, um, I think when you are pressed for time, things kind of change slightly because you, don't take the time to think about those, uh, such as you get to your position, you find the targets. Let's say you have a lot of time to work with. Well, now you're looking at the position like, well, where can I be? Can I be over on the left? Can I be on the right of the spot? You know, is there a tripod that I need to put in position? What's the second position look like? What target am I going to engage first? Because that's part of the game or the strategy behind this series is nobody's telling you what target you have to shoot first or last. So when you guys get to a position and you identify the targets, are you looking at the target size? That's going to give you the biggest amount of wind. Um, let's say forgiveness so that if you hit that target, you make a wind call, you hit that target, Maybe it was too strong or it was too weak. You still get the hit as long as you range the target correctly. But you're going to see how that target reacts to your impact, and that's going to give you a better idea of how to engage those smaller targets. Is that something that was going through your head, Vanessa, when you would get up to a position, or were you just like, oh, my God, I need to shoot fucking targets, and I need to go? <laughs> there was a lot of that. <laughs> um, usually when I would – get down, I would kind of decide once I got down and in position, what target I was going to go with first. Sometimes I would start, 
would go in a direction from right to left or left to right. Um, there were times when I looked at the size of the target. Sometimes I just felt like if I'm running low on time, I better go for the bigger one because I'd have a better shot getting a, a shot in versus missing a small one. Um, but there's, I mean, being newer, there's just so much going on in my head. So I would usually tell the RO, like, I'll let you know. Like, I'd get behind my rifle and get ready to shoot before I decide, you know, what I was going to shoot first. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what about you? So this is the first year I've actually done that where I've looked to see size of targets, which one should I shoot at first, and which one's going to give me the best wind call. The only caveat to that is this is probably the first year I've seen where there isn't a whole stage of just tripod or a whole stage of just prone. There was some mix-up for some of them. So I kind of had to figure out which ones I wanted to shoot first based on what the best position was going to be. Okay, I can see that. Russ? Yeah, kind of in line with Nick a little bit. Um, if, if there was the same position and given a choice, I would generally go to a larger target and then, you know, get my wind call from there. I did. I think I told you guys I was at a poor start the first day shooting right to left. So I started left to right. And the, the, I think on the third stage, the smallest target, it might have been a five-inch rectangle at like 500 yards. But I'm like, I'm going left to right just to mix it up. <laughs> and I did that. I cleaned it, but then afterwards I had a little mental like, okay, that was kind of stupid because the other targets were probably 12, maybe 14-inch diamonds kind of thing. But I would look at, like like Nick said, a little bit more of what's the highest chance for success um, from the position I was on less than the wind part. I felt my wind calls were fairly all right. Okay. The other thing when looking at the targets and determining what order I'm going to shoot them in and, uh, you know, things of that nature is like fighting for prone, right? And we talk about it a lot, especially during the team practice, is just looking at the position because you have this spot painted on the ground and all of these things are going through your mind like – where are my targets and what is my dopes for these targets? What's the wind doing? But now you have to factor in your position and, you know, for the South course, I would say there's a few spots where like I would get into a prone position or a really low tripod position, but I am shooting through a bush or the top of a bush. And I'm actually using a window that the bush is providing. Um, but on the north or the west course, there were it seemed to be a few more positions where, like, if you were on the dot, you had to get your bipods up pretty high or you're going to shoot a rock in front of you or you're going to shoot a bush, which I ended up, you know, wasting a shot on a bush because I thought I had clearance and I didn't. And sometimes you have to look at that spot and say, okay, I can be one arm's distance away from it, either to the left, to the right, forward or back you know I just have to find a good spot for me to shoot from and is that always something that was in your guys's head because I know it was for me even if I was tight on time like I'm either getting up on the tripod so I can clear everything or I'm still taking the time to make sure that I'm clearing what's in front of me because if I don't take that extra time to make sure it doesn't matter how many shots I get off I'm not going to hit anything if I'm shooting something that's directly in front of me uh, so I definitely made sure that was a, uh, you know, an aspect that I, I focused on. Uh, do I have bare clearance? Is my hide overboard clear? Is there a bush in front of me? And you know, I made that a priority 
because I had shot a bush last year and it kind of pissed me off. So and I did the same thing this year, even though I, I attempted to make sure it was good. But what about you? You guys um, focusing on that or did you find yourself more times than not just trying to shoot from the dot and you weren't as focused as should I be to the left? Should I be to the right? Where's a better spot? Uh, what do you got to say, Nick? Uh, I think this year is probably the first year I've actually moved away from the dot or kind of used that arm's length thing to my advantage. There's a few spots where guys were shooting off funky rocks that I was our own for. And I looked at it I was like, man, I was prone for that whole stage and guys are shooting off the tripods all wonky and definitely have been hearing you say fight for prone and my nightmares for the last three months. So that helps. <laughs> all right, Russ, what about you? Uh, similar, you, you know, like last year I started after training with you, like, Hey, always fight for that. You can, you know, eight out of nine, seven out of nine of them. There might've been an opportunity to do that this year. There's probably a little bit less, like you said, you know, there was some, you just had to shoot off of, but for the most part, I was looking for that. Or can I be a foot or two from it? Reach out for the dots. Um, and the clearance shot through bushes, had no problems there. I did hit the top of a cliff on, I think the North and a, a, a ruined a clean kind of deal. Um, one of those things you take a shot. So I hit the edge of the cliff. I'm looking at the target. I see nothing. So I'm like, am I like two revs off? Which I wouldn't be um, kind of thing. And that cost me because I didn't have that clearance. But I, I did make a concerted effort. And probably I feel there was maybe two, three stages out of 27 where I got up and said, why didn't I just shoot over there compared to God, the first year, 75%. Last year, maybe 40%. So definitely try to do that as much as possible. Yeah. Vanessa, what about you? I know it's your, only your second year, a lot of stuff to think about. So this, a few stages that I got to see you shoot, your ass was on right that on dot. The dot. Like, <laughs> when you were laying there, there was no, there was no dot. Like, I'm on the dot. <laughs> it, it's very easy to get sucked into this is the spot yeah. that I'm supposed to shoot from. Yeah, there's less to think about if you're – I mean – I'm in such a rush because I'm so, you know, jittery and like, ah, just, you know, overwhelmed with everything. So I'm always in a rush. I uh, tried, you know, to get better over the time of being there to slow down. But um, I fought really hard not to shoot from a tripod because I do not shoot from a tripod well. I need to practice that. So I fought to, to shoot from prone as often as I could. Um, yeah, there were a couple you just couldn't. You had to shoot from, from a tripod. There was one stage where I really didn't want to, but there was a bush right in front of you, and the guy that shot after me, he tried to lay down in prone, and I was like, oh, crap. If he And he was far. It was about an arm length left, and I was like, oh, man, did I miss did I miss that? And he got down, and he had to get up, and he, he couldn't see over either. So I'm like, okay, I didn't miss a prone shot. But, um, yeah, I was on that dot. I think I tried to veer away from it a little bit more by the third day, but yeah, newbie, newbie, well, newbie issues. <laughs> some of those positions, like we've been talking about, you would have to extend your bipods all the way out. Now, all of us are running MDTs. I believe, Nick, you're running MDT, right? Nope. Poor man's Atlas. Okay, Atlas. <laughs> all right, so um, – for those of us who are running the MDT, I am running the DRS short version. So I've got about, I want to say, three three inches less 
than what you guys are capable of. Um, I know you're probably sitting here thinking about a fucking short joke right now, so go fuck off. I'm actually right. thinking about three inches matters, but... <laughs> but uh, so sometimes I would have the legs extended all the way out, and then the way that the MDT sky pods work is they, they will also close together. And then I would have my bipods pushed all the way to the magazine. I mean, I'm trying to squeeze every inch of height out of these things that I can. And when you're getting that high off the ground, just to make sure that you have the clearance that you need, it could take a considerable amount of rear bag and, and trying to get creative with how you're going to manipulate that, whether you're using the rear bag under the pistol grip or now you're trying to pull your backpack in and use that to help elevate uh, your rear bag and, and get some kind of contact. But there was quite a few of those positions where my tripod is already deployed. And I would find myself using that, just slowing down, saying, you know what, I'm going to use a tripod for rear support. I'm in a high-prone position, but it was much more stable and easier to manipulate using a tripod as a rear bag than it was to try and fight with my medium game changer. So did you guys use that capability at all? Uh, I know Vanessa, you had talked about uh, one of the guys that you're ROing. He had mentioned like, you know, I'm, I'm upset or, you know, I'm embarrassed that I know how to do this. I know how to do this. <laughs> and it's like, but that's a tool in your yeah. toolbox. And I used it once and, and it was, it's so good to, to it's helpful. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, Russ, Nick, you guys find yourself using that tool at any point in time? I think I used it twice. One on the south. Um, I was kind of concerned about if I was going to clear something if I tried to shoot like a God, a standing, kneeling, prone shot over a rock because um, there was three, three targets, I think a circle and two diamonds in the lower circle was from your eyeballs, kind of like, ooh, would I hit it? So I just shot rear. And the whole time I was kind of like, you know, I think it's funny because you could take a little bit of shit for that, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, tripod rear is gay. Okay, cool. But I cleaned it, one of those things. So you're like, like you said, it's a tool. <laughs> if I want to choose to not use it so I can thump my chest and say, ooh, I didn't do that. Uh, cool. Uh, whatever, uh, but I did I did that a couple times, um, and having the the longer bipod legs for sure uh, helped. Um, put them a couple. I don't want to say one time too high though. I was like, oh, it's going to be that. Then ended up having to lower it down. But I'd rather have the extra three inches and not use it than not have the three inches when you need it. Right, Tyler? I'm with you. I am very much with you. And in this particular situation, I feel I can buy my way into a higher three inches, which I might find myself doing here pretty fast. Um, Nick, did you use the same method? Like, I know you're working with Harris bipods, so you got a, you got a lot less um, options when it comes to bipod height than the rest of us. Uh, the Atlas isn't too bad. I didn't do much as far as sliding it back and forth. That KRG I was running has kind of a shorter forend, so it's already pretty close to me compared to, like, the MDT that I usually run. But I end up uh, using the lower tripod quite a bit on the north, probably more than I needed to, but I think south I used my tripod full standing a couple times and maybe once as a rear support. But for the most part, it was just up and down on that atlas. Okay. So I bring this up because the origin, like the origination of this match was to set up a 
hunting style match where you would have to find the targets, range them, and then shoot them. And you only get one chance to hit that target. And if you miss, then, you know, most likely your, your target is gone. So when you look at deploying your tripod and using it to find and range targets and keep your bino steady, if it's already deployed, then it seems pretty reasonable that you could use it for a rear support and it's not just some gimmicky type tool in your toolbox or, or method of engagement, right? But it's actually something real that you could utilize uh, as proved in this match. And, you know, I was going to ask you, Russ, where on your scorecard was it marked that you used a tripod for rear support? Oh uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. There's there's not a slot for that, <laughs> right? So, but the reality is, if if you've got your legs up high to shoot down, you know, like you think you have to you have to be high to clear something, and you've got a down angle, like the little game changer, and I was using a, a full size like get light. It's not enough. So, what do you want to do? Do you want to put two bipod legs down and struggle to do that? Or do you want to reach three inches to your right and grab the tripod? And sometimes it's a lot easier to adjust than the back, you know, for those positions. Um, Cause I feel like once you've got it set, the wobble both vertically and horizontal is gone. Whereas a bag, when you get it, when you're fighting the very top part, I think the horizontal play fights a lot more when you have it you know maxed out so yeah um yeah well, that's that's my own it's like i feel like you're you're almost at the top of a, like a, a safety cone when your bag is that high and then you know I, i'd find myself trying to put my hand on top of it so it's now it's not even on the bag anymore it's on my hand on top of the bag which why you know, to me it's just i would grab the tripod instead yeah I mean, I think it's totally usable as we all sat here and talked about using it. So, I mean, I say keep on keeping on. As far as finding the targets, and this is, uh, you know, maybe I didn't realize that it was a potential problem. And, you know, talking with Vanessa, she's looking through her binos. She's finding the targets but she's not ranging them or writing them down. And she's trying to find all the targets at once. And what, what was happening is she would find the targets, but then, you know, she would get notified or, you know, she would ask what the time is and he'd be like, Hey, you got two and a half minutes left. And now she's got to go back and she's got to find those targets again and then range them. And then she's at two minutes. And before you know it, you're at a minute and a half. Yeah, I, I asked you the last day, like, what do you do? Because I find myself running out of time because I, you know, I know that there's patterns in where the targets are. So if I find one, I'm like, there's got to be a second or third, you know, there, look for the pattern, look for the, you know, uh, what my uh, earmarks are going to be to go back to that target. Because I didn't want to find something, range it, and then go back and go like, where, wait, where was it? You know, I was trying to look at everything around it, and I... I just need to find a better system to speed up everything because, yeah, I wasn't sure what the best way to utilize my time was because, yeah, I'd find the targets and then my two minutes would be up and I'd have to go back and there was another minute. Now I'm rushing to, to get down and start shooting. So that's kind of what I was going to ask is how was everybody trying to 
manage where those targets are and how you're going to get back to them. I know for me, I would honestly say that 90% of the stages I was using a little bit of terrain to help me locate these targets. Like if there's a big ditch or if there's a dead tree that's all by itself, or if there's a skyline feature that really sticks out, like I would utilize that, especially some of those positions where you guys, I think you remember on the South, you would shoot from position one and then you'd have to go around the backside of a bush and your second position was on the other side. And like, when you're looking out from that second position, you're like, okay, shit. It looks completely different. It, it does. And <laughs> that one stage sticks out to me because, you know, Josh Reeves was my RO that day. And I shoot those three targets. I got my three hits. And then I grab my shit. I run to the other side of the bush. It's a prone position. Everything is great. He's like, what? You, you go in reverse order? Because I had shot them short to, uh, from near to far. And as I'm running over there, I'm like, yep, going far to near. And I lay down and I look out. And I'm like, Fuck. <laughs> Going back to the close target, because I knew where that close target was out of every single stage that we go to. There's always one target that becomes my anchor point. If I get lost, I will go back to that target, and I will cycle through all the targets to make sure I'm going to the correct one. Um, so that was kind of my method to my madness was if I lose my bearing, I got to get back to that one target, and it could be a – a giant bush that sticks out to me and I can always reference that target or it could be the target itself is visible naked eye. But that was how I was managing to always find the targets if I happen to get lost in like a situation like that. So Russ, when you're fine, when you found all the targets and you have to now get down behind your rifle from the prone, well, five feet down, things can tend to look a little bit different. And then when you got to change positions and move completely to your right or to your left, you know, 15 feet away, things look really different. So how are you managing the targets that you found? How were you able to, to stay focused on where those were and, and get back on track? I did something similar to like what you, what you said. I think the first time I had a two by three, I kind of just had the targets distances kind of on my, my, my uh, book or my uh, clipboard without any sketches with, Hey, here's the first target. Okay. To the left of, you know, in my mindset to the left of that and up is this. But then I went over to the second position and I was like, Oh shit, where'd they go? I mean, you're at probably a 30 degree different angle. The stuff that was behind the target is no longer behind the target. So it that bit me once, but then after that, I started adding terrain features on like the little sketch. You know, if there was a giant tree or whatever, I would draw that on there and point towards the target, that kind of stuff. Um, because yeah, it's a it's a real deal when everything looks the same. Um, but yeah, I got bit by it once, did okay on that that stage, but then after that, I was I was going to write down as much detail as I could quickly. And then go from there. Yeah, there was a stage on the north where you had kind of like a, a, a red mountain peak in, you know, in front of you. And you had three targets down and to the left. And then you had three targets up and to the right from the, from the mountain. And the way that I wrote it on my clipboard, 
I wrote the three targets at the bottom left, and I wrote the three targets on the top right, and I actually wrote them in the shape that I saw them through the binos. And they look like a triangle. So I'm looking at this target. I take my shot. I get my hit. And then the target that is at the top of that triangle shape is sticking out to me. And I'm like, okay, there's that target. And I look at my chart. I look at my range card, and I'm like, okay, the other target is the same distance. Why am I not seeing it? And it, it burns some time because I'm sitting there processing like, okay, I see the target, but that doesn't look like it's going to be the same distance. On, and now I start to scan to the right. Like there's got to be a target over here. Where am I missing it? Like how did I lose it? Um, you know, so I definitely played the same game where I needed to make sure that I had at least written the shapes that stood out to me because, you know, when you got three targets or you got six targets – Right, they do tend to form shapes that help you remember where they're at, and uh, that was definitely a point that I made was to write down the shapes and, and shit. So, Nick, are you doing anything different? Did you experience anything different? Did you have an aha moment? You're like, oh shit. No, it's kind of the same thing you guys do with the landmarks, finding some kind of terrain feature that sticks out to you, and I end up drawing some funky stuff on my armband that I used to keep my dope, but. It probably makes sense to me and nobody else, but the gibberish works. Yeah, I agree. Now, for this year, I would say in previous years, like you walk up to a stage and the RO tells you, here's the shooting position, here's your left and right lateral limit. Do you have any questions? And the whole time you're looking out, like you're trying to line up where those left and right lateral limits go. And, you know, I mean, let's all be honest here. In previous years, there was a lot of targets or at least one or two targets that would just pop out to you. You're like, oh, I see one. Like time hasn't even started yet, and naked eye, you have caught the shape of a target or a strap or a target stand that doesn't belong there, and now you have an idea of where you're going to start. But I didn't feel like there was that many stages this year where you're like, oh, shit. Like more times than not, when I get up there and I'm getting the brief, and he's about to hit that start on the timer. I look up and I'm like, I don't see shit. Like, <laughs> you know, like, honestly, it was giving me a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say like pressure, but maybe the, like, oh, is this going to be one of the stages where I don't find a target? Because that hasn't happened for a while. And, you know, again, them moving all the targets and, and things being completely flipped around on us. It was, it was fun and it was challenging and definitely brought back the feeling of like, I legitimately have to find every one of these targets because they are not blatantly obvious anymore. Um, what about when you guys were walking up to the stage and you get to your shooting position, you're getting that shooter's brief. Like, are you, kind of the same thing like you're looking to see if anything just blatantly obvious and did you find it more times than not or do you agree that this year was a little bit more difficult i'm glad i'm not the only one that had trouble spotting those with the naked eye this year i <laughs> know they were they were definitely a little challenging and it was not that not that simple uh russ anything different yeah um i might have found four targets out of 112. No, that's not how many targets there were, but 80 targets yeah. on my, you know, during that, um, I, I got luckier 
just putting the binos on, and then I, I had maybe three stages. I looked at my binos, but oh, holy shit, there's a target. You, you know, like that. Um, no rhyme or reason to it, but for the most part, uh, yeah, you weren't walking up and seeing, oh, there's two or three. Shit, on that, that one you were talking about with the hill, with the three on the left up close and three yeah. on the right above the gray, Yeah, I never saw the third target on the left side. 140 right. yards? I didn't yeah. see that with my naked eye. I shot I a target didn't... 15 yards away from it. I'm telling you what, I didn't see it either. Uh, I saw the two that were down low. Yeah. And then the one in the middle of the mountain gave me fits up until about 30 seconds, and I had to rush to get that shot off. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean, man. It, they blended it really well this year. So, yeah. Vanessa? Yeah. I, have, I have pretty shitty eyes anyway. So. That is true. <laughs> so when I look out, all I see is blur. Um, once you, Once I, you know – found them in the in the binos there were a couple that i could see naked eye once i kind of had an idea of where i was looking but uh, yeah i mean this year was better finding targets in general but not not with the naked eye now yeah uh, i also found that uh, i found myself working a lot more of the field of view like the left and right lateral limit uh for for quite a few of the stages actually where i'm like okay I find a target, and now I'm looking. I'm locking the bipods and or uh, the the binos in place, and I'm looking down to see where I am in that field of view, and maybe that will help me determine should I go left or should I go right. You know, because if I found a target but it's on the left lateral limit, the only place I can go is up, down, or to the right. There's no more going left. Uh, so I did find myself scanning the field of view a lot more. Um, it was just. It was different, but it was a good different. You know, it was a good challenge, and uh, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to say that, um, you know, looking back, there's we're always you know as competitors, as shooters, especially when we have expectations and and we're trying to achieve goals, whether it's you know a achievement goal or it's a personal internal goal. Uh, we're always going to look back and think about things that could have things that could have been different, right? Um, you know, some of the misses that we had. I don't know if I think about those and say, "Damn, you know, if I could only have that one back." I mean, I took that shot, and that shot was good, or at least it felt good when I let it rip. So if I missed, I missed because I didn't see something, I didn't catch something. So the chances of me catching it the second time around, I don't know, like. Maybe, but there was nothing wrong when I took that shot. It was a bad wind call, bad elevation, right? Um, but then you have mistakes that you had control of, you know, where you shot the wrong target. I did that twice, and, you know, that's, that's two shots right there that were give-me's. They were easy targets. One was at 260, another one was at, like, 390. They were give me targets, and I ended up shooting the wrong ones and costing myself two points. And those are the kind of shots I'm talking about where you look back and you say, you know, if I would have maybe started on lower magnification, because I like to stay on right around 18 to 20. I, I very rarely come off that magnification. And I actually did start 
powering it down. So I could just see more of what I was looking at because I felt like maybe that was the reason I started shooting the wrong targets because looking through the scope, everything is really just a flat plane, right? We don't have a lot of depth perception in the optic. So you get down behind the rifle, you look through the scope, you see a diamond target and you're like, Oh, there it is. And then you take your shot and realize that you're a mil low and it's like son above shit. Right. Um, so when I'm asking about things that you think you could have done something different, that's what I mean is, is, you know, mistakes that were made. And I don't consider wind a mistake. I feel like we all get, um, you know, brutalized by the wind one time or another, you know, whether it's shooting in high winds and you just made a bad assessment or you're shooting in low winds and you thought there was wind there and there wasn't, or there was, you know, no wind when you took the first shot, but then the wind picked up for the second shot and you're getting these highs and lows, right? So wind is not something that I am asking you guys about. I want to know about the shots that you're like, damn, you know, I should have fixed this or, you know, I made this mistake, you know, shooting a bush in front of you, like, damn it, Tyler, what, what, what are you thinking? Like, why didn't you power down and check to make sure you had clearance or why didn't you just shoot another position? Like those are the types of issues I'm thinking about. Um, and I know it's across the board. We, all of us shooters have these issues. Um, Josh and I were partnering up for two of the three days, being each other's RO. And, I mean, he was making the same mistakes as me. He shot the wrong target three times. And, uh, you know, I don't think he shot any bushes, but he was scanning an area. He found three targets, but the way that one target was situated behind a bush, it looked like it wasn't facing us, but it was in our lateral limits. So he just ignored it. And he ended up skipping that target and not getting the points for it. And at the end, I'm like, dude, that's one of our targets. He's like, Oh shit. You know, like I found it. I just didn't think it was ours. So what are some of the mistakes that you want to try and improve on and not make the same ones next year. And it's challenging because you don't really get a second crack at this until the team match. So the team match, you get a little bit of redemption, but you have a partner that can kind of help you through this because the gas gunner gets unlimited ammo. So if they make a mistake, you can fix it and the bolt gunner should make it through with no problem. Uh, but the next individual match is going to be a year from now. So, uh, it's important that we identify some of these problems that we self-inflicted and then we try to correct them over the course of a year so we don't keep making these mistakes. So, Vanessa, give me one. Give me something that you're like, you know, this was self-inflicted and I know there might be a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. You want just what? Probably. I come back in a half hour. Yeah, yeah, it's just like it's my, uh, my tiebreaker scene, walk away. Um, I think the one thing after the first two days that I really tried to work on by Sunday was um, rushing my shots and not being in a stable position. I, you know, my, I wouldn't have my rear bag in place because I just was in a bad height with my bipods and I would take a shot where I knew my buttstock was kind of floating on my shoulder and as soon as, as soon as I press, I go like, Oh, like that was just dumb. Like I just was rushing so much to take a shot and not focusing on being stable. Um, so that cost me a lot. And those were the mistakes that really, really just, you know, they, they really bothered me because I was like big target, close target, like dumb ones that I, sh you know, I just feel like 
I was capable of doing better had I taken my time and um, and really focused on being more stable. Good. I mean, I definitely went through that. One of the stages that you were watching me shoot, I found the targets. I felt rushed, like I was going to run out of time. And I shot the entire course from a tripod when I didn't have to. I knew that the first and third target were visible prone, and I just said, I don't have enough time. I'm going to go for it. And in the end, it cost me a lot. So, uh, yeah, we've all been there, and, and, you know, we still end up having those lapses when we come back. Um, Russ, what about you? Um, I shot the wrong target twice, but uh, opposite of you, I got lucky and hit just yep. at the very bottom of the target. I, I see the target get hit, and, you know, my dad was R.O. in for me. There's like a half-second delay, and he's like, impact. He's like, I think you're, you know, and I go back to the other one. I'm like, I think I just shot the wrong target. I'm going back to the other one. So both times I did that, I got lucky. Um, there was another stage on the south. I don't even know if it's a mistake. I shot prone both. You had to shoot over bush, then move, and not prone, off a tripod. So I did that, went to the second position. But I found the targets quick. I think I had like three and a half minutes left for the last three shots. The targets were big, probably the biggest ones on that side. And it was a seated tripod, so I just shot them. And I, you know, I, I cleaned it or whatnot. But the, the other mistake after that was on number eight on the south, where you have three to the left, uh, 290, maybe three, maybe 400, the third, and then three on the right. Yeah, which were like six fifty. I want to say six and five eighty, five fifty. Yep. Uh, I made a mistake there because I knew I was running out of time. Like literally a minute left before I was getting on the gun, and my mindset at that time was: I just saw that target on my binos. I'm going to get down and find it quicker than I would look for the targets that I last saw three minutes before. If that makes sense. So I took the shot at the six hundred, missed. I think I hit the 580 and then timed out on the third target where it literally could have been less wind at 290 and then less wind at three. And then it, it just, so that was a mistake. I felt cost me say two one points. Um, and yeah, I think I, I fiddled around with the tripod on another stage too long, but but those are the things if I could take back. I'd be like, why did I why did I shoot the six hundred yard target when the three hundred yard target is right there? And then that last mistake, which I mentioned earlier, was I didn't check through my scope on a down target. Uh, so I hit the edge of that cliff. Yeah, that, that would have been, that would have been a clean. I got a five instead of six on that. And so that's kind of stupid. You're just like, oh. Um, so once again, there's you know there's what's that four points? You know that could have moved me up a spot or two that kind of stuff. Um, nothing glare, you know, nothing glaring, like forcing a position, which I've done in the past. Um, I just wouldn't, I'd either take my time to fix it or, or, or not, but those are my problems that I'd correct if I could. Nick, what about you? So that same stage that Russ was talking about, uh, West eight, where there was three on the left and then three on the right. I only found two of the ones on the right. They kind of made a V and I found the two far ones, and I was running low on time, probably rushing more than I needed to. And I jumped on my scope, and the target I saw was the target that I didn't find in the bino. So I shot the wrong dope on that target. I was, I don't know, whatever, a mil high. Um, the one that really stands out to me, though, was on the west. There was one stage where the position was kind of at the edge of a rock up against a tree. It was kind of a funny little angle. 
So me just probably going too fast, I was trying to use the tilt feature in my bipod instead of just taking the few seconds to reach out and extend that right leg. So I know I was fighting the weight of the rifle on that one because as soon as I stepped up, my rifle actually tipped over. Um, then we moved on to the second position for that one, and it was kind of a up-angle rock. And I don't know why, if you had put the NRL designation in front of the competition dynamics one, this would have been completely different because I've shot that same rock position dozens of times in you know, NRL competitions and just thrown a bag down. For whatever reason in my head, I thought I had to use the bipod, and I ended up being way too high in the rear, basically kind of floating the back end of the gun up yeah. and missed a bunch of shots where I looked at it after the fact. And I was like, man, I've, I made this shot, you know, dozens of times throwing a bag down and just getting stable. That was the, the biggest one that stuck out to me. Okay. So, I mean, definitely things that cost each of us, right. Outside of the wind and, you know, things of that nature, um, you know, those little mental mistakes or those internal cuts start to add up, you know, over time. And, um, yeah, I mean, it can make a difference and it, you know, it starts to come down to, you know, one, who's going to, who's going to range the targets correctly. Who's going to find the targets. Who's going to make the best wind calls and who is going to have the least amount of internal mistakes that will affect you and haunt you for the rest of the year. So, um, something new that I did this year, um, I did it last year, but I was only doing it on stages that I missed a target. You know, I wasn't doing it for stages that I had cleaned and, you know, this year I changed it up. Um, after I would finish shooting, I collect all my brass, make sure my rifle's unloaded. I move my stuff over. I repack all my shit, get ready to RO the guy behind me and, while he's searching for targets, I'm typing on my phone, recording everything that I felt and thought and happened to me, whether I cleaned the stage and got a six or if I missed the target and got a five, like I was writing every detail down. Like, did I go left of the dot, right of the dot? You know, what, what, uh, what was my bipod height? What was my magnification on? Uh, little details like that, just because I want to be able to go back and, and review what I had done good, what I had done not so good and how that was going to help me improve, not just for the next day, but for the next stage, you know, did I make a great wind call and I hit every target center and watch that thing swing straight back? Well, what was I seeing that led me to making that wind correction? And now I can look out for that at the next stage. And that's kind of how I went through my day every day was writing those little details down, um, you know, and, and it wasn't just big brush strokes of like, Oh, I cleaned the stage and I shot from prone and it was good. Like everything and watching how the target swung. Well, why did I miss this target? You know, what would be a better position for me to have been in? And you know, I felt like that was a pretty big benefit for me. And Obviously, it didn't help me when it came to me shooting the wrong targets, but, I mean, overall, I felt a lot better about every stage after that because I was recording data that was assisting me. And uh, what about you guys? How were you utilizing the information that you had just gained, right? Every time you take a shot, you gain information. So when you finish a stage, you, you've taken six shots or close to it, 
and you've got all this information, what were you doing to utilize it for the next position? Nick. Uh, the first day, all I recorded was my scores. I probably should have been taking notes, but Friday West was a bit of a beatdown, and I don't know. I didn't feel like doing it, I guess. Saturday and Sunday, though, I took a lot better notes, and I think it did kind of help keeping track of what my win call was for what and at least keeping in my head that I don't have to go off the position that kind of it looks like from the beginning you can fight for different positions or figure other stuff out. That kind of helped me move along. Okay. Russ? Yeah, I mean, I take I take notes like I would in a range book. You know, that's kind of how you taught us. And a little bit, I do a little bit less in previous years or whatnot. Um, I'm, I'm putting my results in there and basically not enough wins, corrected too much. Those are my kind of notes. Um, and I sometimes I'm doing that to look for a pattern, whether it's that same day, like on, I don't know, whatever the first day. Like I'm writing like 0.3 low, weird, 0.2 low, weird. Um, but I'm mainly looking for patterns and a little bit of a therapy, I guess. You know, like, you know, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. You write it down, maybe it goes away a little bit. Um, but I'm not, I'm not getting as detailed as third click of my bipod that, you, you know, I'm more like, what did I do wrong that I could, that I should probably know more so of what I used. I got you. Um, I definitely utilized, um, like the reverse math formula for wind, um, so if I would make a good wind call, I'd get the hits. I would do the back math and say, okay, what is this miles per hour? So that it would make me faster at making wind calls on another stage. If conditions stayed the same, if I felt like it was a five-mile-an-hour wind, then I had an idea already in my head of, of how I was going to run the wind formula. And, and obviously the, the, you know, the order of the targets that I shoot would help me confirm if my wind call was good or bad, um, you know, so that was definitely a part of it. Vanessa, what about you? Uh, I wasn't really good at taking notes the first day or two. Um, I kind of couldn't figure out like when to fit that in while every, you know, there's just so much going on, but, um, but it made sense when you said when you're, when the uh, guy you're ROing for is shooting, I mean, you're really not doing anything at that time. You're just waiting for him to, to start shooting to, uh, so taking notes was did a little bit on the second day and more on the third, um, but it was more because I have a short memory. So when I would talk to you later about what my problems were, it was helpful to have notes to, um, to go back and try to figure out what my issues were so that I could try to fix those for more so the next day than like right away. Um, yeah. okay. So I'm going to get back to and work on. So all of these stages, right, um, I don't treat it that much different than I do uh, NRL or PRS-style match, meaning that my, I, have a, uh, I have a method of which I do things. And, you know, I've always got my two mags on my body. One's on my chest. That's the one I load the rifle from. And I got the other one on my belt. That's my spare mag if I have any issues. But when I get to the staging area, tripod comes out, legs get extended, it gets put into the standing position, bipods are up on top, 
I got my range card, Velcro to the tripod. I've got two pens. If I lose one, at least I have the spare with me right there at that moment. I don't have to dig through my backpack to get it. And my rifle, I put my magnification at a certain spot. I got my rear bag hooked to my pocket. And then I go, I conduct the stage. As soon as the stage is over, collect my brass. My magazine is empty. You know, uh, rifle is clear. So I move my gear out of the way and I fill my magazine. I put the six rounds back in it that I just shot. I put it back in my chest rig. I erase my data board. And, you know, I basically get everything set up so that I can move to the next position. And I really focus on doing this process the same way every single time uh, to include taking notes and writing down how I performed on that stage. And when I get to the next spot, it just repeats, right? And there's things that I do uh, when the buzzer goes off. I set the tripod down, put the mag in, put the rifle down, drop the bag next to it, take my backpack off. Now I'm ready to just focus on finding the targets. And when it's time to shoot, I don't have to remember to put a mag in. Like I've already done it. I've already pre-planned all of these activities. Um, so I felt like I saved a lot of time and I also calmed myself down by knowing that I was always ready. And, you know, that's helped me out a huge amount. So how do you guys feel your mental process, like your pre-fire checklist, your pre-stage processing was working? And did you change anything from day to day as you became more accustomed to shooting this style since we haven't done it for a while? Nick? I think the only thing I really changed was the where I was staging my magazine as opposed to like the NRL stuff, I keep them on my belt because I'm not hiking a heavy backpack around with the waist belt all locked down and everything. I was actually keeping a five-round mag in my pocket, and that was the one I was using mainly, and I single-feed my sixth round. Um, in the first probably six or seven stages of the first day, I wouldn't remember to take my mag out of my pocket till I was already on the clock. But walking up for the rest of it, I was having that mag in my hand. As soon as they set the gun down, slap that mag in and go. I don't think I changed anything else on my process besides that. Okay. Russ? Yeah, no, I feel the process uh, after doing the team safari last year. And then I think I, you know, I had started training with you maybe a month or two before, uh, or a couple months before the steel safari the year before. Kind of got the process down. I don't think I really changed anything. Um, I've always tried to stuff magazines while the guy's walking up, get a drink. I don't wipe off the, the data board, though, until the guy's shot, just in case I can't find the targets again. You know, one of those deals. I don't, you know, I make sure they can't see that stuff. But I'll erase that as I'm, you know, sign the guy's score sheet. But the process has been pretty much the same now. Um, yeah. Vanessa? Um... There's a slight process <laughs> that I follow most of the time. Um, I was trying to make sure I was loading magazines and wiping my stuff down and kind of sticking to a very similar routine for each stage. But there was one, you know, I, I, I must not have loaded my magazine because I had to hand load one round because um, I didn't have a full mag. Um, so it's, it's a work in progress, but I think I did okay. I mean, I was 
I think you saw me at the end of like get your magazine, yeah, like put your put your tripod down and get your magazine in right away. I did that here and there. I mean, I didn't do it every stage, so there was still a little bit of uh, there were some stages I was a little bit cleaner with, and other stages I was just like shit. My 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 rear bag is still attached to my pack, um, so I, I got to fine tune that. Yeah, it just takes repetition, you know, more repetition, doing it, consciously thinking about it, gets you into that that mental state, right, where you just start doing it without really having to think too hard about it. But it does, I mean, in my opinion, and you guys can chime in if you, if you have anything to add, um, but walking into that stage feeling prepared, knowing that you've checked everything, you've done everything, you're constantly working your process, and then you hear the buzzer go off, you set everything up, and then now it's just time to focus on finding the targets. And there's kind of a calming, a calming effect that comes with knowing that you have set yourself up to be ready. Uh, would you guys agree? Oh, for sure. It's like taking a deep breath before because you know your shoes are tied. You know, you're not going to trip on the walk down, all that kind of stuff. You take away, those are all variables you can take away with the preparation based on repetition. Yeah. Really, that's, you just, where's my bat? What's right here, where, where it always is. You know, stuff like that, which takes a little while, but when you start taking those things away, you can focus on finding the targets, you know, your wind call, and getting a good position and whatnot. But definitely a calming calming option when you have everything done ahead of time yeah 100% so the next match that is similar to this is going to be the team match and that bad boy is in October and we add a partner to the equation and you also get an additional minute so one shooter is a bolt gunner one shooter is a gas gunner. Now, they say the gas gunner might not, or, you know, be prepared to take shots out to 500. Well, in reality, <laughs> the gas is going to take shots wherever the hell you find the damn targets at, right? Um, so you want to have a projectile that's going to make it there. But then at the same time, like, you know, teamwork and time management are going to be critical because on one side, the gas gunner can shoot as much as they want. So you have a you have a hard decision that you have to come to terms with. If you found the targets, but you haven't got all the hits with the gas gunner, do you call it quits and let the bolt gunner shoot, knowing that they only get one shot per target and they might not hit everything? Or do you let the gas gunner go to town until he gets those three guaranteed hits? Like... That's always been the struggle, right? Um, you know, and then the gas gunner giving the bolt gunner enough time or setting up positions or, you know, while one guy's trying to shoot, the other guy's or other girl, whatever, is, is trying to get stuff set up. Like, do you need this bag? Let me get the tripod set up for position two, you know. Um, and there's just a lot of little things that have to be worked out when you're working as a team. And... This year, Russ and Vanessa, this will be your guys' second year working together. And then this will be Nick and I's first time working together. So first, who is the bolt gun? Who's the gas gun? 
Russ, Vanessa. <laughs> well, I'm the gas gun because I need all the shots I could take. Okay. I think, right? Is that is, is that the plan? Yeah, I think so, unless you want to mix it up. Hell no. I'm, I'm good either way. So when it comes to, like, the time management portion of this is uh, <clears throat> typically you want not just your strongest shooter, okay, which it doesn't have to be. You could have, uh, you know, your, your, your weaker shooter be the bolt gunner, but your gas gunner will have to be that much stronger in helping with wind calls and things like that. Um, but because your bolt gunner is shooting after the gas gun, you typically want your best observer to be the bolt gun shooter, right? Because if you can't find the targets, then you can't shoot the targets. Um, so that's where the other challenge comes into play is Rush is the bolt gunner, Vanessa is the gas gunner, and, you know, you point out a target to her. She says, okay, I'm going to get down and I'm going to start shooting that one. Well, once she's done shooting that one, the challenge comes with how do I walk her on to the next target that I found? And how do I do it quickly, right? And I think you guys probably remember from last year is finding a way that you guys can both see the same shit. Russ, you might actually need to get, like, some foggy glasses so you can see what she <laughs> sees. <laughs> I'm going to wear safety goggles. <laughs> you know, you see, you see leaves in detail, and she sees just blobs of color. You know, like, <laughs> You see that blob of gray over there? Yes. Okay. Your target's in that blob of gray. All right. Got it. We got our communication down after day one. <laughs> a little bit better. Communication was a big deal. So the gas gunner only has to shoot from one position, and they only have to shoot three targets. The bolt gunner's got to shoot probably two positions and six targets. So, again, that teamwork where the gas gunner is done shooting, empties the rifle, clears it out, sets it aside, bolt gunner gets down, starts taking the shots, and then this is the other part. Is your gas gunner going to help spot, or is the gas gunner going to help you get into the second position, whether you need a tripod set up or something like that? And every stage is going to be a little bit different, right? And I think it really comes down to the team, you know, one – that communication part, but what does the bolt gunner want? You know, I, I've talked a little bit with Nick. We haven't got to practice together uh, outside of like the law enforcement class where we work together as a team on the field course. Um, you know, but what I want from him is I want to communicate with him what I think the wind is doing, but I want him to confirm with me what the wind is actually doing. What is he getting his hits with? And it doesn't matter what caliber he's shooting. He could be shooting two, two, three. But if he could tell me I'm hitting with 12 miles an hour, well, that gives me an idea of what I need to hold shooting my, my caliber, whatever that might be. Um, and then I prefer that he would, if he has time, he can spot. But if there's other things that need to be tended to, like the second position is going to require a tripod or we're going to have to move – all of our shit. Like, I'm going to need my bolt gun. I'm going to need my rear bag and the tripod. Everything's going to have to go with me to the second position. I'd rather have his help being ready for that move than I would him spotting for me because I can do all the spotting myself. So, really, there's a lot of internal team little nuances that need to be worked out. And with your guys' experience now, Russ and Vanessa, having shot Steel Safari twice and having shot 
the Team Safari once, specifically Vanessa, and then Russ, you got more experience on the Steel Safari side. What are some of the things that you envision when we do the team challenge in October that your guys' process is kind of how is it going to work together? Like I've seen everything from <clears throat> the gas gunner just lays down and starts laying waste on targets. He doesn't even know what the range is. He's just walking them in. And, and then I've seen other methods where they're both trying to find targets together. And then once the gas gunner has found some targets, they'll relay it to the bolt gunner, but they'll get down, they'll start engaging and they have their own ranges and things like that. Um, you know, so I don't know if, one method is better than the other. I think it just comes down to the, the way that the team operates. So have you guys had any discussions or are you going to continue to roll with what worked last year? Uh, we haven't really had any discussions. <laughs> yeah, we should. Uh, we haven't talked about it. But I think what we need to do, though, is have like a hard time, uh, you know, a hard stop for, all right, am I going to start shooting the bolt gun now or keep going? Like last year it was more like, Hey, this is new. Let's have fun. You know, um, at least for, you know, a fair amount of the stages kind of like, all right, you know, where I didn't, I don't even know. I didn't get on my gun a couple of times, yeah. but I was kind of like, Hey, whatever, as long as Vanessa gets some experience and, you know, we, we, we work on it. But I think, you know, we, we changed that a little bit more um, as the days went on. Like, all right, how about after this we do it, depending on, on, on what it is, because we can only find two, and we continue to look too long, and I never shoot, we're only going to get to that kind of thing. So yeah. I think we'll, we'll have to come up with a, a hard stop as far as, all right, time time for you know, for me to shoot. Um but no, we'll have to spend some, some, some weekends or what, practicing that kind of stuff. Like, all right. But I, I think we probably had more success if we found two targets. As soon as we get two, get on it, start shooting, and I'd look for a third. Yeah. And if she had hit that, um, I would shoot the first two or three with her giving me dope sometimes um, or telling me, hey, where that, the last target was or whatnot. Um, we just just have to go through the process, just like anything else. Yeah. There's another component when using semi-autos is being proficient with the weapon system itself, right? Because now I'm not saying this is how it will be, but if you get a, a malfunction, Vanessa, and you can't fix it on your own, you're now taking time away from your partner finding target fix your rifle right and uh you know i know that's definitely something that that uh nick and i will be talking about is you know if he gets a malfunction i'll be expecting him to fix it himself and vice versa if i have an issue like he's not going to want to come over there and you know pat me on the ass and say here buddy i'll help you like he might maybe <laughs> but uh you know we all have our jobs to do, and then we have that teamwork part of it. And, and uh, you know, it's just a really good time, especially when things are going well, but the, it could turn south really fast, you know, if you don't find targets or if you don't get the right wind calls or, you know, if you can't communicate where those targets are, you need to start burning time that way. So, 
but it's definitely a good time. We will obviously be practicing and trying to work out any bugs we can up to that match. And, uh, you know, now that we've seen some of the current, you know, re reimagined uh, stages and kind of what we're dealing with, the targets will be moved, they'll be in different places, but you're still going to be dealing with, you know, similar distances and, you know, wonky positions. So we'll try to tailor the training that way so that we can put some of those, I want to say like little nuances in, like I tried to set up some stages for you guys to practice. Um, but I never really moved you guys that far where things that you're looking at would change that drastically. And you're like, shit, where are the targets at? Right. So that'll be something that we have to incorporate, um, you know, and then, and then maybe running some test stages where they're designed to make you fail to see if your hit percentage would be higher if the gas gunner just gave up at a certain point or if the gas gunner kept going until they got that mandatory three hits, right? Um, and I guess it's all relative, but if there's a target at 800, are you going to sling 20 rounds at the 800-yard target with your 223, or are you going to say, you know what, I can't get that one uh, I just can't get my wind out in. I can't, I'm left, I'm right. You both going to take over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think there are certain situations where we have to pre-plan and kind of see what works and what doesn't. Uh, but I'm excited. I think we all had a really good time at Steel Safari and a lot of growth, definitely over three days. It's always how it works out. Um, you know, all of us, I think leave the last day wishing we could redo the first day. Um, you know, just because it takes a minute to get back into the groove, especially when you have uh, inexperience and things like that. But, I mean, overall, I would say, did you guys set a goal before and did you hit it? Nick? Uh, so I set two before we went out there. I hit one of them, didn't hit the other. Uh, I had the goal of 100 hits over the weekend. And I just barely peaked that one. Probably wouldn't have if they didn't add the other two stages. Uh, the hit percentage goal I had in mind, I fell a little short. But overall, I was pretty happy with it. Okay. Russ? Uh, how do I see? I, I don't want to say I had, like, a super hard goal. I, I was hoping to be top 20, um, which I squeaked in, I think, at 19. Um, that was kind of the goal. I don't hit percentage, all that. I just wanted to, to do a better job finding the targets. And honestly, I have a higher score on my scorecard where there'd be more sixes and fives instead of, you know, ones, twos, and threes, which I had in the previous year. So on that side, yeah, there's stuff to improve on 100% for sure. But, you know, for the third time shooting it, I was kind of stoked. You know, with all the, with all the, the distance changes, positions, angles – Moving targets, you know, we kind of talked about this. Um, like Josh Reeves, you know, we were texting and it was just like, oh, I think it's just awesome. Because you get a little bit complacent of, oh, yeah, those are generally down here on this respects. And there was none of that shit. So I thought it would be harder that way um, as, as it truly was. And it also took advantage away from maybe guys that shoot it twice a year between team and steel safari for multiple years with some of us only doing it a couple. 
So I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised, you know, that I was, that I got into the top 20 and being harder than previous times. So, you know, I think I was uh, 36th last year and 51st the year before. So trending the right way, you know, had I taken a few mistakes away, I think the top 15 would there. And I'll say next year, my goal would be top 10, which that's a pretty, you know, I think Nick would be the same way. You know, not much to get there. But there's some, I want to say, <clears throat> there's some badass shooters in that top 10. Literally, you, you were talking a couple couple impacts away from each other for the most part. So that'd be my goal. I guess I'm set now for that. And th- that's a big improvement, but, uh, you know, top 20, I made it barely. So I will up that for next year. Okay. And Vanessa. Um, now you just to put a, I don't know. I'm still trying to, evaluate this from an outside perspective, but I feel like you spend a lot of time with all of us. So you have really, you're a competitive person, but you have high expectations, right? And I mean, if we're being completely honest here, Steel Safari was your first match of 2020, right? COVID hit and everything got shut down and this was your first match. So this is kind of like the start of your second year of shooting. Uh, but you still had really high expectations. And uh, mentally, I think you were fighting with that over the three days because sometimes you would do really well. And then other times you were just not hitting whatever expectation you had set for you, uh, for yourself. But did you actually walk in with a goal and did you hit it? I I had a pretty broad goal of I just want to do better. I, I really wasn't sure how to put that into, like, positional. Like, I, I didn't expect to fall in a certain place in line with everyone else. Um, you know, the goal was better, which should have been an obvious, you know, from six months into, you know, a year and a half. Um but yeah, I was pretty disappointed with my with my own performances. And I think, you know, sitting around with you guys, it's hard to listen to you guys talk about, you know, not that you guys were talking about how well you were doing, but, you know, I'm sitting around with a bunch of people that are, you know, good shooters. And it's hard to sit there and listen while I'm like myself, you know, like, oh, you know, I feel like I should have been capable of doing better than I did. Um, and I just, I just wish I would have done better. And that's hard to swallow when I'm like, oh, I'm going to fall way far down on that list of shooters, regardless of how many good and bad and mediocre shooters there are. I, I just. So looking at the numbers, <laughs> right, you've got a new harder course of fire. You've got so many more stages that were well beyond the distances that we shot in previous years, especially you right? But looking at the data, your hit percentage was 10% better, 11% better than last year. So listen, it was better, but not better enough. 
<laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it was, I really was really disappointed. I had a, by the end of day two, I was really upset, and I tried to hold it in and and try to stay positive. But it was hard. It was hard. I'm I beat myself up pretty pretty well on the inside, and I, I think this is a really good lesson on why you need to have small goals that you are striving to achieve and not such broad goals that you really can't measure in any other capacity other than you don't feel good about how you did, right? Um, if you would have had those goals, like such as, you know, I want to clean one stage on every course of fire this year. Like that's a, that's a good goal and right. a ladder that you can start climbing versus, you know, I just want to do better than last year. Well, how do you measure that? I didn't know how to, yeah, I didn't know how to put into measurements what what kind of goals I should have. Yeah, and that just leads you down a path of internal struggle, so. Crying into that pillow at night. Yeah, <laughs> I, so I think going forward, we need to make sure we're all focusing on what those small goals are that are going to help us reach those bigger goals so that we don't get wrapped up into those situations. Um, that like what you're saying right there, Tyler ties into the same thing as the stage prep. I equate those as the same. Like if you have the goals of, Hey, I just want to go up there and clean it. Well, how you can do it uh, or whatnot, you, you know, having a focus goal, you're, you're taking away um, objections or you're, you're taking away variables. Like, and if you, if you, when you translate that to specific goals, it's the same. Like, Hey, what am I going to do? I'm going to make sure I dial my dope for the first target. You know, if it was PRS, I'm going to dial that. Cause I always forget to, cause this started out for all of us as, well, not you Tyler, but I mean, for us like, Oh shit, scope caps. I'm going to make sure next time those aren't there. Then it's going to be my parallax is going to be adjusted ahead of time. So, you know, Vanessa, as soon as we, we've done that for the most part for that side. And it's just the same for goals. Like, all right, if I have a focus deal, we, we, can, we can do that instead of just, hey, I want to shoot better at this match. So I think you pick a couple things, you focus on those, and they're, they're gone. After that, I feel once you do something enough, the right time each time, that's just something you do now, like tying your shoes. You don't need to think about it. Now you can focus on the next thing, you know, measuring the wind correction instead of like we all used to do. Is, oh, add more to the left or more to the right because that's where I missed. I don't think it's so such a task for you to be where you want to be if you take away just a one thing a match, two things a match. Um, honestly, I, I don't. Your skill is right there with all of us. It's just that little stuff keeping out of your mind. Yeah. 100%. So we're going to have to get together again after we've had some time to absorb the uh, struggles of steel safari and start thinking about the team safari. The pistol practice. Pistol practice. <laughs> we've got assault stages now. Um, we've, I've got the sniper adventure challenge coming up. So there's some of that that's going to kind of pull my mind away. Uh, but, you know, continuing to think about the team safari, we need to make sure that as we are two separate teams that we start coming up with goals, right? And uh, 
you know, expectations. Uh, I'm pretty confident that we will find ourselves kind of in different areas uh, in regards to who's going to shoot, who's not going to shoot. I would say for the most part, um, you know, I will always let Nick finish shooting because they are three guaranteed points almost 99% of the time. Right. Um, you know, but Thanks for all that pressure. Yeah. <laughs> what are our small goals? You know, what, you know, how many, uh, how many shots are, you know, we going to allow the gas gunner to not achieve or, you know, uh, just little things that I want to focus on and make sure that we're not just going in with, I want to win, I want to win, which I do. Uh, I think we all do, but what if that doesn't happen? Does that mean that it was worthless? It wasn't right. There's always positive things that can come out of it. So we've got to get together. We've got to talk about uh, our strategies and, and work through some issues and then come up with a list of goals and what we're going to do to achieve them for that team safari because it is such a fun match. So uh, outside of that, I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to uh, sit down and, and kind of recap uh, some of the beat down that we all experienced. Um, I think on every level, we all had some things that we had to work through and, and, you know, it was ultimately something that made every single one of us better. And that's, you know, if you can't win, that's, that's a great, great experience is to walk away with something that's going to help you be a better shooter and uh, better at your craft. So if you guys don't have anything else, uh, Nick. No, nothing else. Russ. I'm good. Vanessa. Uh, All right. Well, again, guys, thanks for, uh, for taking the time out. Appreciate it. And it was great hanging out with you over the, uh, the past four days. We'll get together again soon and start practicing and getting back into the groove of some NRL and PRS stuff. And until then, to all of our listeners, I know that we've been away for a while and, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to come up with different topics. I think we have a really cool one that we're going to try and do here pretty soon. Uh, but we just don't want to get on the horn and, and start speaking into a microphone about random shit that you don't care about, right? You want to hear about our experiences. You want to hear about lessons and things that you can do to get better as shooters, and we want to help you with that. So when we have things that we can pass and share, we will. And uh, other than that, we don't want to waste anybody's time. So I hope you guys have a good rest of your week. Hope you enjoy this episode. Again, thank you guys all for joining us. This is Tyler, Vanessa, Russ, and Nick, and we will catch you guys later. Bye. Bye. Adios. Lame. <laughs>